0: This is a pod about Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy, a genetic progressive disease mainly affecting boys. Every year, 10 boys in Sweden are born with Duchenne. The earlier you find out, the better the prognosis. And today we're in Copenhagen in Denmark at the International Congress of the World Muscle Society. And I have two delegates and researchers here that are visiting the conference.
1: I'm Luca Bello and I work in Padova as a neurologist and I've always been interested since my earlier career uh, in Duchenne muscular dystrophy, both following the patients in the clinic and also doing some research about the clinical aspects of the disease, so outcomes and trials, but also about, about some of the pathogenesis and some of the genetic aspects of this disease.
2: I'm Annemieke aertsma I'm a professor at the Leiden University Medical Center, and I've been working on Duchenne therapy development for the past 20 years. And because the therapy I'm working on is uh, mutation-specific, that means I've also been involved in diagnosis and the different genetic mutations for almost 20 years.
0: Welcome to the pod. How many boys are born with Duchenne every year in Italy?
1: So that's a hard calculation to do off the top of my head, but We know that pretty much uh, one in five to 10,000 of uh, boys, male boys who are born across the world will have Duchenne muscular dystrophy. So it's a rare disease, but among rare diseases, it's pretty common. And it's one of the main uh, neuromuscular disorders of the pediatric age. And it's important to note that This is across all world populations, because for other muscular dystrophies, for example, uh, which uh, affect gene uh, chromosomes that are not interested in determining sex, so they both affect uh, uh, males and females, they have a recessive mode of inheritance. And with this different mode of inheritance, it is more common that in some world populations, there are higher concentrations of uh, healthy carriers and that will lead to a higher number of cases. Well, in Duchenne this does not happen because uh, the disease-causing gene is on the X chromosome, which contributes with the Y chromosome in determining sex, and that's why also the disease affects boys. And with X-linked recessive diseases like Duchenne, usually you don't have higher concentration of carriers in world populations, so Duchenne really is uh, a disease that's across all world populations and the if you another th- another thing that's changed in the last 20 years if you look at the older literature the figure that i mentioned earlier will be a little higher so more frequent uh, incidents uh one in 3000 3, uh, or five hundred more or less um, and the numbers have gone down because of uh genetic counseling and so there are now especially in developed countries, less familiar cases. Whenever uh, there is already one case of a affected male in the family, it's more common for women to have uh, timely genetic counseling that will lead to uh, responsible reproduction choices and uh, uh, testing during the first trimester of pregnancy. And so that has brought down the incidence of Duchenne. And still, it, it is a disease that is very hard to... Uh, theoretically eradicate with prevention because there is a high rate of spontaneous mutations just because this is a very large gene, actually the largest gene in the human genome. It is quite likely that any random mutation will happen right there. And so this high rate of spontaneous mutations will lead to some new cases, which we call de novo cases, happening every now and then without the mother having the possibility to get tested because there is no previous knowledge of affected uh, persons in the family.
0: Do you know how many boys that are born every year in the Netherlands?
2: I think it's about 20 to 25 boys per year. How big is the
0: awareness about the disease in your countries?
2: So in the Netherlands, there's quite a high awareness, but that's in part because we have a very active Duchenne Parent project. Uh, that's been advertising and also in commercials. So people are more aware than in some other countries, I would say. But again, because it's a rare disease, um, I mean, if, if you have someone in, in your family or in your immediate environment, you'll be very aware. But the chance that you never encounter the disease is, is of course, much higher. And then you, you might have seen it on a commercial, but you won't know all the details then.
1: And... In Italy, I guess, general awareness is pretty average for uh, a European country. And again, in Italy, the Duchenne Parent Project Italy has done a tremendous job at uh, raising awareness and collecting funds and organizing events and uh, running funding campaigns. And so probably if awareness has risen, it's more <laughs> the credit goes to par- uh, parent and patient associations for the most part.
0: Is it important to raise awareness also among the professionals?
1: Absolutely, because it's the first tool to earlier diagnosis and earlier uh, care and better care. And because uh, Duchenne is not the kind of uh, diagnosis that can be missed altogether, because uh, by the age of five years, any kid with Duchenne will have quite obvious symptoms and in a developed country it is unthinkable that at some point the diagnosis would not be reached but we have another kind of aim which is diagnosing very early so that uh, the family can be informed and care can be started and uh, and also I would say uh, second cases in the family can be prevented by genetic testing genetic counseling and the way to go about this is not obvious and it has also. There's been a long-standing debate about uh, neonatal screening or f- screening in the first years of life, which is has complex ethical uh, issues. Which I mean, we can discuss, but maybe now's not <laughs> the best you know, moment. In another pod. But um, probably the most important factor is having pediatricians and other uh, professionals in the health system being aware of the existence of Duchenne and of the general clinical picture of the spoils, which I could spend a few words on. (laughs) Uh, Usually uh, their uh, motor and development is normal or close to normal. Usually there is a lot of normal variation in the motor and psychomotor development of a child. And usually uh, children walk by the age of 18 months, they walk independently. If they start walking after 18 months, it could be indicated to look for some kind of problem that's keeping them behind, and testing CK for muscular dystrophy could be one of these. And uh, when uh, in the subsequent months and uh, years, about two or three years of age is the age where most DMD diagnoses are made.
0: Yeah, what is the status of the diagnosis age in Italy?
1: In Italy, there's been a paper published which is very specific and it comes from the experience of about 12 uh, tertiary centers so maybe it selects the patients with the earlier diagnosis because the case series comes from the best centers and maybe some uh patients who are outside this uh angle of observation are not included but uh and it's about 30 uh 3.5 years which is a little earlier than in other countries but probably it's not because our doctors are so much better at seeing the signs, but because probably because of several reasons, they are more prone to prescribing blood tests. And whenever uh, a child is diagnosed because of a blood test, which shows a high level of CK, usually unexpectedly, uh, you'll see that in those patients, the age of diagnosis will be lower than in those patients who have been tested because they were showing some sign of motor uh, impairment.
2: What is the
0: diagnosis age in the Netherlands? I
2: think it's around four, and I think what's what's important. So I think so. Once the patients get to an expert center, the diagnosis is generally made quite quickly because the if you know what to look for, the symptoms are and the signs are very clear. And then if you have a young boy with enlarged calves, with difficulties getting up from the floor, with the muscle symptoms. Um, and then you do a CK test and it's elevated, you more or less know that it's most likely Duchenne. The problem is to get to that expert center. So usually the parents will see that something is wrong earlier, but then they they go to, say, the local doctors, who probably in their entire career see about 0.2 or 0.3 Duchenne patients. So it makes sense that they're not familiar with the disease, um, and that often causes a lot of delay because they will say, well, just first wait. Yeah, but he's, he's 15 months, he's still not walking. His, his other brother was walking by, by 12 months, just wait. Everyone has their own developments, just wait. And so that waiting sometimes leads to parents have, having a so-called diagnostic odyssey for two or three years uh, before they finally go to the expert center where they then quickly get the diagnosis. So I think the awareness mainly has to be with the say the primary care physicians who need to be more aware of, 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 of Duchenne. And then again it differs per country because in some countries it's very common that if your child is sick, you go to the ER. And then in some countries you then do a blood test and see C- if CK is elevated. In some countries that happens a lot less frequently and then I think probably the average age of diagnosis is higher. Um, but I've heard that in, in other countries, it can be as high as six or seven on average. Um, and that's really too late because you want to start the care earlier. There's important parts of the care that you want to start at four years of age. Then if the average age of diagnosis is six, you know that these patients have missed that care. And the earlier you start, the better the impact will be. So it's, yeah, it's 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 really, it's, it's They should be diagnosed earlier to to give them that care.
0: Do you know of cases uh, when the diagnosis is delayed into a non-accepted age?
2: I know of one family where the patient was diagnosed when he was like five or six. So that's for for Dutch uh, purposes, that's rather late. Um, But there it was, I mean, this was the first child and the mother didn't realize that something was wrong until he went to kindergarten at age four. And then she saw, but compared to all these other boys... There's definitely something wrong, and then she started, and then in the end it was relatively quickly. Um, but I think so again, this is it's about the awareness. But I don't, fortunately, don't know any Dutch examples where it's like five or beyond five, like six or seven. That's rare.
1: Then sometimes that uh, thing we were saying about variation comes into play, and in some cases it could be that having a quite a milder disease could lead to a later diagnosis because. Uh, there's less to be observed, and so it's less obvious that there are some motor problems, and so in those patients, the later diagnosis could be could predict a better outcome. But it's just an exception; it's not the rule. <laughs> the rule is that uh, an earlier diagnosis allows for better care and a better outcome.
2: And what also doesn't help is that so about thirty to forty percent of Duchenne patients also have some cognitive problems. And then sometimes, so they will have speech delay, they will have cognitive problems, and then sometimes say that the, the motor delay is explained by, but yeah, but he also has some cognitive problems. Um, well, in fact, it's all part of the same picture. So I think that sometimes also causes a delay where they don't, don't connect these two things, but rather think the motor delay is because the patient has cognitive issues. <laughs>
0: can be done to make the diagnosis earlier or what should be done?
2: I think, well, raising awareness with the with the primary care physicians. And I think in the care will be organized in different ways in different countries. So in the Netherlands, um, all children between three months and four years will regularly go um, to a checkup, so to say, and they will get their vaccinations there, but they will also do the checkup. Are they growing? Is everything going well? I think if you could train these people to recognize uh, uh, the signs of Duchenne, that would probably, in the Netherlands, that would help a lot. Um, But in other countries, this will be arranged in a different way. So you would need to, to, to intervene in a different way.
1: I was kind of hesitating in answering because we'd go back to this debate of a screening of some sort, which could be potentially very effective because CK, which we've been talking about, is a protein that leaks out of uh, diseased muscles. And so it's very, very high in Duchenne. So normal values is from uh, below 200 usually. And, but Duchenne patients uh, at the time of diagnosis usually can have 20,000, 30,000, so really uh, sky-high levels. And uh, so these sky-high levels are not really specific, but they're really indicative of a severe muscle problem like Duchenne. So theoretically, if you took a population of children and screened them with CK, uh, you will would be quite sensitive to identify Duchenne cases. It would be hard for them to escape uh, the screening. you would pick them up, uh, but there would still be some problems. Uh, one is uh, non-specific findings. so you could pick up other kinds of uh, muscle problems, but they could be hard to diagnose and having a less well-defined care guideline you could be, hard put to decide what to do with this information, and that has uh, hard ethical implications. And it's, uh, it's hard to decide at which age to do or think to do such a screening, because now we have neonatal screening for meth- metabolic disease especially, because of course there you have the treatment that you can apply immediately. And we've said that we have very important care that has to be delivered in Duchenne, but still it's not the cure and it's not a definitive cure, and so uh, it is still debatable if neonatal screening should be applied, and uh, by current guidelines, any treatment is not clearly indicated before the age of three or four, at least, and so it could be reasonable to think of a screening at uh, uh, an age of about one to two, but still, it's under debate and we have no definite answer in that
2: and we've asked we've asked uh, parents about this as well and then of course what the answer so the filippo bucella who's the chair of, or was the chair of the italian parent project he said of course it's never the right time to hear that your son has duchenne but when you start to worry you want to know as, as soon as possible you don't want to be in doubt for years you want to know as soon as possible um that what the diagnosis is. And I think that's so probably between one and two years when the parents start to worry, when the parents start to see that something is wrong, that probably would be the best time. But yeah, of course, I mean, it's going to be a devastating diagnosis for the parents. Having followed
1: families with more than one affected boy, I've seen the burden of that. And so I think that one big point in favor of screening would be preventing realistically a lot of second cases in families. I can also see that maybe in the first months of life of a young uh, child, it could be hard for a mom to cope with the already very intensive <laughs> experience of being a new mom and knowing that there's a very uh, tough problem that you cannot really tackle right now and you have to wait to do anything. I can also see how that would be hard. So. And at,
2: at that point, there's no symptoms. So that's also I mean, for the first year, there is no symptoms. So then. The, people also argue like you, you take away this one year where they did not have problems where they felt everything was okay um, but again so the patients that or the parents that I know they said that when they started to worry they wanted to know as as, as, as soon as possible
0: and you talk about collaboration and so but can it also be a competitive area
1: You mean screening or no, no, no just all research <laughs> ah, okay, research okay,
0: and being yeah. a researcher and to find yeah, the vq I, yeah.
2: <laughs> I think so they have a word for this is cooperation so we we cooperate we collaborate but at the same time we're also competing and i think if you if you look at sports if you know that you're going to get the gold medal anyway you don't have to run very fast so but because there's compete competitors you will walk quicker but then, if someone would fall and be a serious problem, we would all help to, to 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 pick them up. And if someone would need help, we we would help. So I think it's 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 a bit of both. But because I mean, everyone who sees the patients, who sees the pairs, know. I mean, if Luca would have a very good treatment, and me not helping him prevents the patient from getting that, I mean that that that's impossible. That can't happen. So then I will help him. But if we're both working on the same thing and he asked and I was say, well, I'm also working on this. So just you do your thing. I do my thing. And when we're done, we'll, we'll talk.
1: That would be a case of healthy competition, which would, would just help the, the field in general. So <laughs> it would be fine.
0: If you two would, would work together, you have worked yes, before several together. projects. What would the best scenario look like? And what would you hope for in the future to detect the diagnosis
2: earlier i think so i'm i'm not personally involved in the diagnosis so i'm mainly involved in educating people about the genetics um, so i think that that, that that's my contribution and i think the 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 way we're collaborating so i think what what we did in the past worked out really well um, because we were working on genetic modifier and Luca was working on genetic modifiers, and we had this gentleman's agreement that if he found something, we would validate it in our patients. and if we found something, he would validate it in his cohort. And I think that really worked out well because we, we could confirm things um, and sometimes we, and it well, has we'd...
1: actually happened both ways.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we would find the same thing yeah. and then, well, great, then we'll we'll, we'll we'll do a joint publication. So I think that's that's probably the most ideal setting.
1: It's when you're trying to tackle a problem that's very big and has uh, very complicated uh, aspects. I mean, there's room enough really for <laughs> different paths and can really explore different areas without stepping on anyone's toes.
0: <laughs> We're also going to talk to a Swedish delegate about the conference, Professor Mar Tulinius. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. Why do you think this conference is important?
3: The World Muscle Society conferences are always very important. They are yearly or annual meetings uh, where people working in the field of neuromuscular diseases can meet. Uh, what has happened the last uh, few years is also that the the conferences become more and more clinical. Uh, that is, uh, there are more there are more and more lectures and posters on different therapies uh, for, uh, for different neuromuscular diseases, especially Duchenne muscular dystrophy and spinal muscular atrophy.
0: What are the highlights of the conference? I,
3: w- I would say that uh, these, uh, the results from many of these clinical trials, uh, which we have seen through the days, uh, are, are the most important highlights of the meeting, uh, we have had presentations about the new gene therapies and, uh, and also about RNA-modulating treatments, but uh, uh, also uh, these new drugs which are being tried instead of corticosteroids for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. These are very important uh, studies which can change the life of these patients.
0: You have worked many years with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. What brought you into the field?
3: well uh what brought me into the field of uh of the neuromuscular muscular dystrophy was uh that I broadened my my uh, research field uh from only uh, uh from doing mitochondrial diseases to both mitochondrial and neuromuscular diseases and then I began working clinically with these patients. Uh, uh, and um, uh, both with regards to diagnostics, but also in follow up programs, uh, which we have developed uh, since the middle of the 90s. So I, I have been working within this field uh, since then and, and tried to approach it both from diagnostics and from follow up.
0: Professor Martellinius from Sweden. Thank you all for your time and your thoughts. This pod, Take on Duchenne, what you need to know about Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy has been produced by Comma and my name is Maria Mattel Suomalainen. The podcast has been produced with financial support from PTC Therapeutics.